Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and we are literally on the first day of November, just a few days until that infamous election day and a day away from Halloween. Hopefully everyone's tricks were treaty or treats were tricky, whichever you prefer. And a couple of announcements before I get into my first guest. Uh, Tuesday Topics with Paul Edwards will be featuring myself with a call-in with Clark Rockfell for a period of time. And we will be taking everyone's voter stories. Anyone who calls in and can tell us about their experience, whether it be you marked your ballot and uh, sent it in early, you did an early voting in a machine, or you're about to go on election day and brave the lines, please join us. We will be available all evening long. If there is interest, we'll be switching streams. And as uh, as returns and news comes in, we'll discuss that as well. So please enjoy Tuesday Topics with Paul Edwards, um, who graciously invited me to guest with him. I uh, also wanted to just put out there that it is the month of November. Look for some special podcasts um, featuring Diabetic Awareness Month, Diabetes Awareness Month, excuse me. We have some fabulous guests, including Jeff Bishop, who speaks about his personal journey. Um, There'll be a live event on the 9th. It will be a Facebook and YouTube live that will eventually be in podcast form. And that 10-part series is going to feature a ton of information from lifestyle changes to medical terminology to advocating for oneself. So please look for that as the month progresses. And of course, what everybody is thankful for as the month closes out, hashtag ACB family table and hashtag what are you thankful for this year? So with that being said, let's jump right into my first interview. I am very happy, honored to have the privilege to interview Mr. John McCann. Welcome to the show, John. Oh, thank you very much, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's uh, let's do a little personal first. Can you tell us about yourself, where you grew up, um, how you got into law, et cetera, et cetera? I know you're recently retired, so uh, you can talk a little about that too, if you'd like. Sure, sure. I was uh, born in New York City in September of 1954, so I just turned... Uh, 66, it's about uh, six weeks ago, thereabouts. Happy belated. What, what, yeah, uh, thank what you. Uh, 23rd, September 23rd. 23rd. So, um, so I'm four days before our, our president. Um, I'm four days before Dan, who is September 27th, although he was in 56. So see, he's, uh, he's a little younger than me. But our birthdays, uh, on the one I used to keep a uh, calendar of ACB board member uh, birthdays. You know, we were... Uh, I think we weren't the closest pair, 
Uh, we actually had a duplicate there, I think, Sarah and uh, Sarah Conrad and Pat Sheehan of the same birthday, <laughs> or they're yeah. one day apart, something like that. It's uh, pretty incredible. So we weren't the closest pair of birthdays, but uh, second closest. Um, so at any rate, uh, I was born in New York in 54. Um, so I was congenitally blind from glaucoma. Uh, I went to uh, Lavelle School for the Blind from kindergarten through eighth grade. Uh, unlike a lot of schools for the blind, given the population density in the New York City area, uh, most of the students that I went to school with were day students. There were a few um, residents, but they basically stayed um, from Sunday to Friday and then went home because they were on Long Island. So you couldn't transport them on a daily basis, but they did get to go home on weekends because their ride might have been oh, one and a half hours, maybe up to two, depending on how many people had to be dropped off. Again, I, I wasn't in that situation because I was close enough in. Uh, actually, um, and this is pretty tangential, but I think you know my parents agonized a bit uh, about what the educational situation was going to look like because I lived in the borough of Queens and they didn't get transportation until 1959. So had I, you know, had that happened a year later, they would have faced the issue of whether to be mainstreamed or uh, because my parents even even coming home on a weekend basis, they didn't want me in a residential situation. They thought it would be too much of a rupture of the parent-child bond, at least from my mother's standpoint, as I understand it. Um, going on from there, uh, in eighth grade, uh, I was very much committed. I really wanted to go to a mainstream environment. Uh, as I entered eighth grade, Lavelle began building its high school. Now, folks who were uh, in the in the situation from the like 50s 60s what a lot of high school what a lot of Lavelle students would do is if they wanted to continue in a segregated setting they would go to the New York Institute for the Blind and some would um, elect to go to the mainstream setting by going into the public schools and in each borough of New York City there was a designated um uh, either elementary school, junior high, or high school, where they had a Braille resource class. That that was the way that was handled. Um, I wanted to go to a parochial Catholic high school, and um, the Catholic Guild for the Blind provided a lot of supports uh, for that to happen. So I went to Christ the King Regional High School from uh, 1968 to 72. As it happened, I graduated valedictorian. I went to Manhattan College for a year that was fairly close to home, although I, I went there as a resident. Um, I, I, I It just wasn't a good fit for me. I mean, it was a good college, but I think I had placed an inordinate premium on being close to home at that time. Uh, so I transferred to the State University of New York at Binghamton, where I went I was to have graduated in 76, but I was struck by a drunk driver on New Year's Day of 1974, so I lost a semester. And uh, I graduated, actually finished my coursework in December of 76, but graduated in 77, Phi Beta Kappa, went on to Harvard Law School, graduated there in 1980, and then... Uh, began my career uh, with the federal government and what was then the Healthcare Financing Administration under uh, what was then, again, HEW, then turned to HHS, 
Department of Health and Human Services. After four years of federal service, I had the opportunity um, to work as the executive director of what was called the Affiliated Leadership League of and for the Blind of America. It was basically a coalition of all entities in the blindness system, organizational entities, with the exception of the Federation. So it was the American Foundation, NIB, BVA, ACB. Um, we did some legislative work. That was really one of uh, Derwood McDaniel's babies. Um, in that capacity, but in more of the capacity of my being involved with what was in the old Dominion Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. Now it's ACB of Virginia. I did a lot of legislative work for them, loved every bit of it, came to the attention of the powers that be. And when Gerald Belisles came in as governor in January of 86, in April, he uh, tapped me on the shoulder to be the commissioner of the Virginia State Agency which again, at that time was uh, Virginia Department for the Visually Handicapped. It's now Virginia Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired. I served in that role for three and a quarter years. I can't say it was the most successful experience I ever had. Uh, I think it was, if I'm being honest, it was a combination of managerial inexperience uh, and also maybe pushing too hard, uh, uh, being too much the advocate. (laughs) Um, But um, I'm proud of the things that we accomplished then. I then returned to federal service with the Social Security Administration adjudicating uh, disability cases. And we normally think of disability as cut and dry, but that's only true in Social Security land of uh, so-called listing level disabilities, blindness being perhaps the most prevalent. Uh, uh, I call it the Uber listing. Uh, By listing, I mean... If you have condition X, you're ipso facto considered to be disabled. No further inquiry is made. But a lot of disability is more nuanced than that. Somebody might say, um, try to go out on, uh, it might be a combination of things. Let's say I have back pain. Well, okay, even if we accept the fact that you have back pain, is it disabling to the point where you can't do any work? So um, that's kind of the sketch about listing level disability versus disability Claims where you have to consider the person's age, the person's vocational history, and their education, what level of education they've had. Uh-huh. Uh, that That's where the more nuanced. And, and just to be clarified, I'm, I was a clerk to a stable of administrative law judges. I never became an administrative law judge. Um, uh, let's see, on the personal front, was married in 1981. Um, had uh, my one and only child, Deirdre, in 1986. Uh, the marriage was dissolved in the early 90s. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I retired in, uh, let's say, July 31st of 2014. I've been in a long-term relationship with uh, my current wife, Emily, since like late 2003. Um and uh, we decided that we'd move to the Southwest. I was all about Florida, but Emily had lived there and kind of said, well, if you insist, I'll go there. But I have another idea. <laughs> and she might have had the right idea. In June of 2015, we wound up in Tucson and we absolutely love it here. Um, and her mom, my mother-in-law, Alice, lives with us. So it's uh, got a nice five-bedroom house, big pool. Emily has a sewing room. I have an office, which is where I'm talking to you from now and alice has the main bedroom suite with uh just she's nice. pretty self-contained there you know a little yeah, it's a great life 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, not quite a living room, but uh, she has her TV and a bathroom, and it's it's a very big room. But you know, Emily and I don't. Emily and I's our attitude towards bedroom is well, we're just going to sleep there, you know. But Alice, <laughs> Alice says, well, perhaps other activity too, but um, yeah. but. Um, uh, yeah, Alice has uh, some motoric difficulty. She's post-stroke as of January 14th. So she has, blessedly, her mind is clear, and she's one of the few people I know who at 88 is on the computer. She'll turn Almost. 89 She'll turn eighty nine in the, the, about five weeks. But she's on the computer, but she does have motoric challenges. So, um, you know, this self-contained situation is good for her, but... Um, so I don't know that that covered a lot of ground right there in terms of my personal life. <laughs> it did. Um, you know, you've your career has has done has had a lot uh, related to blindness advocacy issues and and other disabilities. So, do you feel, if you don't mind me asking, before we get into projects in ACB land, yeah. do you feel that we've we've come far? Do you feel that where we are now is is close to where we need to be? Well, as an advocate, you'll always take the position, I certainly will, that we're never as close to where we need to be as where we actually need to be. Um, you know, I, I, I think it is interesting, I'll just come right out and say it, that the gains that we made as a blindness community, uh, the, uh, uh, the pedestrian you know, safety act, so-called quiet cars, and I'm not sure the name of the legislation, I must, I must admit, uh, we got both the, you know, the legislation to mandate that cars emit some sort of sound, uh, and the, um, 21st century communications and video accessibility act, both, both occurred in the, I guess it was 110th Congress, which would have been 2009 and 2010. Yeah. Since then, it seems to me that we've been barely holding on. Um, while I was a big fan, not to get overly political, I guess, but while I was a big fan of the um, uh, Obama administration, the one the thing that I will characterize as a failing of that administration, I was a little bit disappointed with Barack Obama, is that he did not insist that DOJ promulgate regulations under 508 and that we didn't take a more aggressive stance in mandating uh, the website to be accessible. We probably dodged a bullet. I know people will say, well, perhaps you got to open the reopen the ADA for that. And in a world where um, uh, that is that is going to be seized upon to roll back the protections. Uh -huh. we got. I mean, H.R. 620, you know, I could go on and on. But uh, reopening the ADA in the current political environment is something you emphatically don't want to do. It might be something we could get away with doing. Uh, in the upcoming Congress, depending on how the chips fall. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, you were making small steps. Uh, and I suppose you have to be happy about those. But I, I really think that there's a need to push, particularly in the area of employment. Mm. I mean, I, th I think the computers, I mean, just look at how the pandemic has affected uh, disproportionately. Uh, had, a dis well, had a disparate impact on, on blind and visually impaired persons. Thank God Zoom is accessible. Uh, that's all I can say. But in, in the educational realm, uh, it just shows the importance of internet accessibility and computer knowledge. Uh, there'll come a time when if you don't have any facility with computers, um, I don't know what you'll be able to do. 
um, in terms of employment, at least it's feasible for a blind person. Uh, and we're working on a Sunday edition topic for uh, one of the weeks in December. A lot of folks in the education industry and especially in the various medical uh, capacities, the software is constantly evolving, constantly changing. And, you know, rather than building from the ground up the accessibility, they're constantly having to deal with patching. Yeah, it's patch after patch after patch yeah. after patches because they don't see the value of it. And, you know, I mean, one way to help them see the value of it is to make, them, make it cost them something to not see that value. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I think that the federal government has to take a more aggressive stance. And I know that's against uh, people wanting less government and less government intrusion, et cetera. I, I get that. But the, the needs, aspirations, and uh, concerns of blind people are uh, almost, almost mandate a strong federal government presence, uh, oversight, monitoring, enforcement, all of that. Uh, it's not something you want to do on a piecemeal basis or on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis. You know, I have different disparate rules in all 50 states. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the Commerce Clause would provide ample uh, constitutional justification for the government taking a stronger hand in in the whole area of Internet accessibility. I mean, the Internet is it's not on the wave of the future. It's 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 here and now and it's going to become even more so. I mean, look at the discussions that are taking place now about rural areas and places that are underserved by the Internet and how it's yep. basically um, compromising the future economic horizons of of people in that setting when education has to go online, as it has had to do in the recent environment, which no one could foresee. But maybe you know, maybe out of this covid crisis will come a realization that we need to uh, understand that access to the internet is absolutely critical to the um, to building a future workforce. So I definitely would like to invite you back for that conversation, but we'll take you know that kind of conversation offline. Tell me about your introduction. Awesome. Tell me about your introduction and journey through ACB, and then we're going to pick apart some specifics. Oh, sounds like a plan. Okay. Um, as I had occasion to mention uh, with all of the tributes to Charlie Crawford, uh, I, I suppose it would be fair to say that he was my first introduction to ACB. I was, um, well, I actually know one time when I was at the State University of New York at Binghamton, I'd been invited to a State Cobb meeting, which is a Southern Tier uh, ACB affiliate. Um, and it didn't really take, I guess I was at that point in my life, not really uh, conscious of the need for a, a class identity or class sensibility based on disability or blindness in, in, in particular. Um, maybe I was into mainstreaming and then I look, mainstreaming's great. I some of my best experiences. We live in a sighted world. So, but I, that was, that experience didn't leave much of an impression. Uh, then I went to Harvard Law School and uh, I, I, well, let's see, Rusty Burgoyne comes into this conversation for those in, in Massachusetts who might be listening and we lost him, uh, the, I think, January of this year. At any rate, um, 
well, how do I, let me trace this. Okay, between my first and second years at Harvard Law, I was I did an internship with the Architectural and Transportation Barriers Compliance Board. And in the office next to me was Lorinda Steele, who we lost in 2010, but she was the office right next door to mine. And she and Kay Chase went out to the convention uh, of the ACB, which was in Utah, Salt Lake City in 1978, sort of in the summer of 78. And Lorinda came back and was telling me all about these great people I met, Charlie and Kathy Crawford. They were married at the time. And when I got back to Harvard, I should see them. So I made a point of doing that. And uh, I, I mentioned uh, Rusty Burgoyne. I wound up forming a bluegrass group or joining a bluegrass group that we had. And I think we had the opportunity to play the Bay State Council Convention that year. And so that was my introduction to ACB. And I, and I was impressed, but I had made the conscious decision and was not uh, inclined to depart from that decision that during my law school studies, I needed to pay primary attention to that activity and not get involved in advocacy. Though advocacy was always sort of at the core of my being, and it's one of the reasons I went to law school. Um, so uh, I'm after graduating from Harvard Law, I moved to Arlington. And met Charlie Hodge, who only reinforced what Charlie Crawford had uh, uh, exposed me to. And I became a charter member of, well, as it happens in 1978, the Old Dominion Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, again, now ACB of Virginia, they received their charter at in Salt Lake City. And in the spring of 1982, uh, uh, the powers that be decided it was time to form a Northern Virginia chapter. We had some great luminaries as part of that activity. Bud Keith, um, Laura Oftedal, Barbara Nelson. These names may mean something to uh, people with a long history in ACB. Charlie Hodge, as I've mentioned. Chris Gray, he was living in Arlington at that time, and Judy Dixon. Uh, um, and we formed the Northern Virginia chapter. And... Uh, I suppose I had a meteoric rise uh, in that organization because I became president on my 30th birthday in 1984. <laughs> I became uh, president of the uh, what's now ACB of Virginia. I had to depart prior to the uh, conclusion of that term. Since, as I mentioned, I was picked to be the uh, commissioner of the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired, and I was not going to... Uh, uh, like to measures. You know, wear those two hats. You know yeah. that 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 didn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I needed to show that I was willing to be leader—not leader, but you know—fair uh, to both blind constituency groups, and I did strive to do that and think I was successful. Some may not think so, but <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a hot seat, you know, when 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 you're in that position. It was a it was a growth experience, but um, uh, and so. Uh, when the commissionership ended, I, you know, again, reassumed an active affiliation with the Virginia affiliate and uh, uh, kept that until uh, my departure in 2014. In the meantime, as I approached retirement, um, uh, part of my game plan had always been to assume uh, uh, basically a national presence in ACB. I should mention that the reason I didn't attend any conventions or uh, exercise um, or execute on my desire to have a national presence was I didn't want to be attending conventions and that would take time away from the uh, 
time I saw my daughter, as I said, we, uh, you know, the marriage it imploded, if you will, in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. But I always, you know, got to see my daughter on a very regular basis. She was in Richmond when I returned to the DC area, took greyhounds, you know, every other week went down to see Deirdre and, uh, you know, I had her for some periods of time during the summer and during the time of, uh, her minority, uh, I did not want to have the added distraction of being involved at both the local and national level. But with Deirdre having turned, what, uh, 26, uh, or I guess 25 in the year 2011, which was I, when I first ran for office, it was for the position of treasurer. Uh, and I ran against Carla Rushable, and that was a very spirited um, contest. Uh, she... Uh, uh, Carla was the uh, success, uh, successful candidate, but it was a great experience. It, g- it gave me a chance to do a dry run, um, you know, for a run for the board in 2012. Uh, and that was interesting, of course, because Doug Powell ran that year as well. And as you may know, under the Constitution, you can't have two directors from one state. So as between Doug and myself, that was a zero-sum game. In other words, if I won, Doug was out. If he won, I was out. So, uh, And that was part of my motivation for running a year earlier because I had no problem serving. And, and this is what ultimately happened. We were on the board together for some period of time. I had no difficulty uh, serving on the ACB board with Doug, but uh, it was going to have to be in an yeah, one as an officer, one as a director due to that prohibition, which I twice tried to overturn without success. And we won't, we won't get into that debate, but, <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, uh, I went to that well twice and I still think there are people in ACB that feel that that restriction should be lifted and it can be lifted without an undue fear of any one state, uh, gaining too much power. I think, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I I think that's doable, but some people don't, and uh, we'll just leave that there. Uh, so I ran for the board in 2012, and then in a, a which was really a watershed year, that 2015. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was in Arizona scouting out property. Emily and I were both in Arizona scouting out property on May 1st of that year when Marlene Lieberg announced that due to health reasons she was not going to. Um, run for the second vice presidency. So I gave it about five minutes worth of consideration. No, no, it actually was uh, more time than that. Um, Cause I wanted to be sure everything would be in place where I could serve credibly. Uh, but uh, at the end of the month, I announced that I would be a candidate and I, I ran unopposed and uh, I served in that position up until 2019. Um, I think most people thought that I would run for the first vice presidency. And, and I kind of thought that too, but in 2017, it became apparent to me that I was having significant issues of back pain and balance, um, which required some medical attention. Uh, and uh, in March 2018, I underwent some significant back surgery, although it's not something that is is uncommon, you know, a bit of spinal fusion and in two areas of my back. And I just thought I, I need to maybe sit out, regroup. Um, deal with some personal issues, um, just bas- basically get off the train uh, for a little bit, not to mention the fact that with uh, Jeff's departure from Microsoft in 2017 as his first vice president, I became president of Arizona. So it was time to pay attention to Arizona, 
it was time for me, as I say, to kind of regroup, uh, deal with personal and, and health issues, get strong again. Bought myself a, a ski machine, and after this, while while the second uh, while the Pennsylvanians are talking, I'm going to jump back on it <laughs> uh, and work out there. So life is good. Uh, that's I guess as much as like wow, we haven't talked about bits yet. Of course, in 2012, uh, 2013, um, I uh, became the president of Bits, and that seemed kind of unlikely. But I've been friendly with a lot of those guys uh, for a while. Attended some meetings. And I wish I remembered more of the particulars, how this came to be. Um, I saw a great group of folks, but it's like picture a team where you've got a lot of solid veterans. Um, they're really solid, but after a while you're either in a rut or you, you I don't want to say you slack off. That doesn't, that's not a real comfortable term, but you dial it back. You, maybe you're comfortable or, uh, there aren't new ideas or people just get a little bit tired and it becomes somewhat insular. I came in from out of nowhere and blessedly was able to uh, gain the presidency. I think I brought some new ideas, but the one I, I always characterize my role in that organization as a player coach. What I think I was able to do with that organization was take all that veteran talent, redeploy it, reinvigorate it as it were, and uh, we achieved a lot of good things uh, and, and continue to achieve a lot of good things. I think I gave it a shot in the arm. Uh, I deployed resources a little bit differently. I took more full advantage of the reorientation that occurred in 2005, because before that, as folks may recall, it was known as VidPi, Visually Impaired Data Processor, Processors International, which means it was a special affiliate dedicated to uh, needs and interests of people who are professionals in the field. I mean, we go back in the early 70s, you probably would have had a lot of people who operated IBM 360s and 370s and punch cards. And I mean, this is the background. And when you'd use the period key to produce Braille, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. on, on a on a conventional typewriter or, or whatever with with uh, uh, and see, it, it shows you just how little I know about that era because I was in law. I wasn't in data processing. Uh, but they reorientate, reoriented to the uh, broader community of blind computer enthusiasts, end users, access technology providers, uh, et cetera. That, that was a reorientation that occurred before I had any association with them. Um, but they did do their chats once a week and I would join and I, and I, it had a bunch of friends in that affiliate. And uh, it, it seems unlikely you would think I would have gone for a leadership position in Avia, uh, American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys. But uh, I don't know. After 35 years of law, I was sort of burnt out on law as such, not advocacy, but, uh, but law. Um, and I, I wound up, even though I had no credentials in accessibility technology uh, beyond being an end user and someone who could comment effectively on it and someone who feels passionate about it as the, uh, as not all road to the future, but what, what is the future of blind employment and blind empowerment, blind engagement in life generally. Uh, and we've already kind of touched on that. So uh, I was president till 2017. Um, I elected again due to the 
back issues and health issues and wanting to step back a bit. I did. I elected not to go for a third term as president. I served as immediate past president. I now serve as treasurer. And by the way, today is the very first day to sign up for uh, BITS membership <laughs> in 2021, as we discussed. <laughs> Yesterday was the closeout day. The books on 2020 are closed because our annual meeting will be on December 8th. And they... 179 people who are currently members of BITS uh, will, you know, are the ones who are entitled to participate in the 2020 annual meeting, which will be virtual on December 8th. And um, I will begin the solicitation process for 2021. But um, so I want to take a moment and ask Debbie to just be on the lookout if anyone raises any hands for comments or questions for John as we chat along. And I want to ask you specifically, you know, a, it, would I, I'm a neophyte to the organization. I'm, I'm uh, about a year and a half now in and, and really enjoying what the roles have taken on. But uh, one of the things that I hear about bits and I've been to some of the chats um, is unofficial mentoring. There's a real um, spirit of matching people with who needs and who has talent and who can develop talent, et cetera, et cetera. Is that something that you think came from, from your influence? Was it always that way? And, and um, I'm sorry, you know, can, you, can you repeat that again? There was a, there was a slight interruption. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was talking about unofficial mentorship and, and how it seems, you know, the members of bits really are really well, really good at pairing up those that have talents with those that are developing talents or, you know, specific need based situations. Is that something that came in, you know, through you or is that the spirit, was that the spirit of the organization all along? Can you talk a little about that? I think it was the spirit of the organization all along, but I can't take any credit for it. it's having to come to fruition during my tenure. That really came in, you know, uh, when Tom Jones assumed the member, uh, the uh, presidency after me in 2017. And then uh, early news was a was a significant um, impetus behind a uh, our formalizing that in the sense of we have our uh, tip screen reader tips and tricks and our tutorial presentations, um, which, I mean, we're doing about two of those a month these days. Uh, that really is uh, the result of the board stepping up. We have uh, Kelsey Nikolai is our, well, she's vice president now. She had been our secretary, but she is a chair or is formidably involved in uh, the tips and tricks slash tutorials uh, committee. Tim Coomings, who is probably known to yes. some, some folks here, is also very active in that. So, um, you know, BITS has always sought to be a resource to blind people globally and perhaps ACB members in particular in terms of providing help, assistance uh, in the area of uh, access technology, knowledge, what works better. Uh, then some things work better than other things, programs, uh, apps, things of, of that nature. Uh, but we have formalized it um, with a lot more uh, presentations. Now, a lot of those presentations are for members only. We feel if we're just going to give it away to everybody, then what's the point of joining the organization? Uh, we try to strike a balance between having membership uh, represent a value proposition uh, uh-huh. But also, but also making sure that 
uh, the blindness community knows of our existence. So occasionally we will have presentations which we open up to the general public. That's made on a case-by-case basis. Uh, and I guess I'm probably not even the best person to talk about what considerations go into the decision of whether to make something publicly available or whether to restrict it to members. But, uh, you know, I, I think restricting most of our content to members is legitimate because if you don't do that, it's like, well, you know, why, what are you paying? Why for? buy the cow? Yeah. The milk? Why buy the cow? If the milk is free. You know? <laughs> yeah. One of my mom's favorite things. Absolutely. No. Okay. The there you go. Are extremely successful. Um, they are open for the most part. Um, and I, and I, yes, think, they have always been open. They have always yeah. been open. Now they're, they've been dialed back to three days a week, uh, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. It was becoming very burdensome on the, uh, host committee. You know, you need a lot of hosts and it takes yeah. up a lot of time to run them on a nightly basis. In the wake of the COVID, uh, you know, shutdown in March, uh, current president Earlene Hughes had the idea to have them on a, a daily basis. And that appeared to be working well, but I think there was host burnout. Uh, and in any situation like this, you are going to have the need to moderate interpersonal conflicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to go on at length. It was the need to address uh, one or two, uh, well, two code of conduct violations. We've adopted a code of conduct and we had to address two violations. So these things take time. And at the end of the day, as much as I'm in favor of the chats and as much as I'm uh, not confused about the fact that they were instrumental in increasing our membership, chats as such uh, are not part of our core mission, you know, um, and the chats were not necessarily technical and that was by design. We just wanted to have member cohesion. They were all about member membership cohesion and getting to know each other outside the realm of technology. Uh, and I think it was probably in the minds of some people, uh, just, just a way to have social contact during this time when a lot of blind people, uh, feel socially isolated. We are disparately impacted by the COVID, uh, pandemic, as you know, um, in fact, that's what has fueled the whole uh, uh, community discussions. Or, uh, you know, that, that whole, all of the community calls are the result of this uh, pandemic. Yeah. It, it had its impetus and birth in that crucible, if you will. Yeah. So, so let's uh, let's jump to Arizona. Obviously, you know, very recently the board met and made their decision. So, Arizona won't be hosting for another couple of years. Disappointment level, I'm sure, but um, yeah, big time. Does, but yeah, where does Arizona? What does it look like now? Where does it stand? And uh, you know, how disappointed are you guys really? <laughs> well, we're no, we're pretty disappointed because uh, first of all, you need to understand that uh, that 2021 was going to be eight. Well, it is going to be ACB's 60th anniversary, yeah. and it's also going to be at the Arizona Council's. 50th. We were incorporated in uh, wow. uh, June of 1971. I was at the end of my junior year in high school and I had no idea I would wind up in Tucson in retirement. <laughs> you, don't think, you don't think that far ahead when you're 17 years old. I guess I was actually 16 at the time. Uh, big difference. It's been like half a century. Well, that's what 50 years means. So we're obviously disappointed. My initial thinking was that making that decision in October was premature. But as I listened to the board meeting on uh, ACB board meeting on October 13th, I did understand that 
the level of planning that has to take place. And, and more to the point, the fact that I think even if the board had decided uh, to go with a convention, uh, I think making the room rate requirement, yeah, I think a lot yeah. of blind people would have given age and other, um, I don't want to say comorbidity because I hate that term, but I'm using it in its clinical sense. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Comorbidity, you're blind and you also have diabetes or you have, or, or just age alone. I mean, our demographic and God bless uh, ACB next generation, they're going to be instrumental in turning this issue around, but it's a, it's a very real issue. ACB is beginning to look more and more like a nursing home as we go on. And, you know, I mean, look, there's wisdom in age. At least I like to think so. Um, but we need the younger folks, too. Um, well, I've gone a little bit far afield. Uh, obviously, Arizona is disappointed. But, uh, um, you know, we will uh, have, I, I hope, a significant role in the virtual convention in 2021. And Arizona was uh, compelled to cancel its meeting. In we normally meet in May. We did not meet in May of 2020, so we have a lot of business that's piled up. The board has done an excellent job. The AZCB board has done an excellent job in uh, attending to the organizational business in the meantime. But we're thinking of having a meeting, a virtual meeting in uh, the end of March, the mid or the end of March. As a matter of fact, though, I had a discussion with uh, Debbie Hazelton uh, before we went on air about who um, my... Um, convention chair, AZCB convention chair, should speak to about streaming that convention. We're in a bit of a rebuilding mode. Um, right now, the Southern Arizona chapter is doing very well. I think the outreach that we achieved courtesy of the 2020 virtual convention, we have at least two very active ACB Next Gen members who are regularly tuning into our membership cohesion calls, or just our general membership meetings. Uh, We've been doing those now um, the second Monday of every month. Um, so I guess the next meeting will be uh, November 9. But uh, those calls have been going well. Uh, my very able assistant and fellow board member, who I hope will accede to the uh, vice presidency of the organization at the annual meeting, Chris Despero, has uh, undertaken the uh, task of revitalizing the uh, Southern Arizona chapter and that's gone incredibly well nice you know i forgot to ask you to uh to plug the bits mailing list if people oh yeah persons want to be added to it that's members only but anyone who wants membership information about bits sure this would be the best way to go about it anyone who wants membership info about bits should email me at lists L-I-S-T-S, like the plural of what you might take to a grocery store. Lists at jamsite, J-A-M, my initials, S-I-T-E dot U-S. Now, that's a strange, well, not really strange, but unusual uh, uh, suffix. You know, I got a country-level domain um, because that was what what was available at the time. So it's L-I-S-T-S at J-A-M-S-I-T-E dot (laughs) U-S. And I'll be happy to answer any questions about membership because uh, I certainly do want to uh, come to the uh, 2021 convention with uh, at least, you know, 140, 150 people. I mean, you know, some people may drop off, but uh, having gone from 123 members to 179 uh, from uh, March 15th to the close of the membership year, which, as I mentioned, was yesterday, 
that's like wow. a, that's a 45.5 percent membership yeah. increase okay 56 people above what we certified uh at the time that we thought we were going to meet uh in schaumburg you know we were looking at five affiliate votes today we'd go in with seven you know yeah um that's pretty damn good we were, yeah yeah very impressive i want i want to I want to keep that number, but I, but I want to keep it for the right reasons too. You know, people yeah. who are genuine, people who see the value in what we provide. Absolutely. Debbie, you want to take a quick sweep and see if anybody's got a raised hand? Sure. I know and. I admitted some people into the waiting room. And let's see. I don't, I'm not hearing of any. All right. I know that there's also another affiliate that you're involved in that uh, is more of a hobby slash love for you. Tell us a little bit about uh, Radio Amateurs. Okay. I've been uh, a proud member of ACB Radio Amateurs since, um, well, 1985. Actually, that's an interesting story in itself. That was always called ACB ServiceNet. Those of you who had the pleasure of knowing Derwin McDaniel, will understand that uh, in the wake of the so-called civil war in 1961, he was, he was facing a Herculean task of building a, um, a credible counterweight uh, to the Federation. In other words, a credible, um, oops, okay. <laughs> a credible uh, consumer organization uh, in the wake of the, the civil war. So I jokingly said that Derwood would charter anything that walked. Um, <laughs> actually, given the fact that we're on air and this is a podcast, I won't put it in the more crude formulations that, that some have heard me say. But Derwood, um, he'd charter just about anything. And he was friends with Travis Harris. And you know, Travis was running some net with blind folks on 20 meters. At, uh, I think, uh, forget the date and time. I, I, I remember the frequency. It was uh, 14.305 megahertz. But, but I think it was Wednesdays. In, in any case, okay. and that was called ACB Service Net. And so Derwood, you know, said, you talk to Harrison. And they, they charted it as an affiliate, which was, which was totally fine. Um, Having some time on my hands while working for the Affiliated Leadership League of and for the Blind of America, I decided to take it on as a special project to sort of update um, that affiliate to not just make it service net, but ACB Radio Amateurs. And we got uh, an amended charter. Uh, I, you know, um, arranged to write a new constitution, et cetera. And I was really looking to become major league involved uh, with that affiliate. But of course, when I got the nod to become commissioner of the Virginia state agency in 1986, that went by the wayside, but um, it's a great group. We're looking to grow. It's, it's under the very able uh, leadership right now of uh, Harvey Hege out of uh, Louisiana. And, uh, we are going to uh, put, our, we've recently made the decision to open our monthly calls uh, to get them on, listed on the community list. So it'll be my pleasure uh, prior to or on this coming Wednesday to apprise Cindy um, that we want to be included on the calls for the uh, second week in November where we meet the second Sunday. So it'll be a week from today on November 8th. And there'll be information about how anybody having an interest in the hobby of amateur radio, whether licensed or not, uh, is, is welcome to join our call. We are not restricting it to members only. 
Awesome. Maybe throw uh, maybe throw us an article for uh, the ACB blog, ACB Voices, and uh, we'll make. Yeah, sure let's that talk about that. People. I'm not as familiar as uh, you know with. I, sometimes I can't keep everything straight. I don't know whether it's a factor of overextension or age, but <laughs> but absolutely, uh, I'll drop you an email in the morning. Yeah, let me, let Debbie, me anybody? Real quick. Nope. Nope, nobody. Right. Nobody wants me. You gotta have to string it I out. I think they're just listening intently. Oh, that's the yeah. Kind, that's you, the um, kind view. <laughs> it's true. I don't know about that. You put together a uh, a compelling way of you have a compelling way of speaking, that's and you right. put together Thank your you. uh, life. Maybe it's that lawyer well. education. I don't know. <laughs> it's not my show where I would have interrupted several times and said, "Yeah, rah rah rah." Hey, you can, be a, you can be a cheering section. You can be a cheering section. No, I I love ACB. I've dedicated no small amount of my life to it without apology or equivocation and intend to continue doing so. Who knows what the future holds? But uh, uh, like I say, you know, I, I had the opportunity to join a great bluegrass band here and I didn't want to become so one dimensional. Um, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, a, you know, blindness is an important part of who and what I am. It defines me at certain levels, but it's not an exclusive definition of me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent. Uh, I'm a happy retiree. I'm a musician. I am whatever I am. And, and I just uh, wanted to do some things with music, as Debbie knows, and I uh, will get you that CD. Um, the band um, went into the studio in February. And I can't believe, it, like in three days, in like 17 hours, we produced an incredibly good CD. I, I think it's good. And I'm, you know, being a harsh critic of my own work. Unfortunately, um, the band has imploded. Uh, our banjo player decided he needed to leave. And in the wake of that, uh, the real foundation of the group, uh, my guitarist, Chip, Thomas and elected to take a position in New Mexico. They made him an offer he couldn't refuse, but uh, at, at least Andy Chip and I got together yesterday for kind of one last jam session. Looks like he'll be leaving for New Mexico. He starts his new job a week from Monday, so he's leaving this Tuesday. And uh, But uh, we do have that CD. That, <laughs> what didn't help, of course, is we, we, you know, we put all the money into the CD and the time and we were COVID. expecting to have a lot of gigs and COVID blew out all the performance opportunities. You know, is it yeah. available for, uh, for people to purchase? It is. It uh, is. Plug it. I'll, I'll, plug get, it I'll get you the info. I'll get you the information. Well, if you go to, uh, he might have taken the site down by now. Oh, what a heartbreaker. I would say go to highlonesomebluegrassband.com. Um, but he might've taken that site down. That was a way to market it. Emily's saying, yeah, the site's taken down. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll give you some. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Anyone, Absolutely. you know, you have the lists at jamsite.us. Anyone who's interested in bluegrass and it'll be played on, I'll get the copy, to, uh, a copy of Debbie so she can play it on cafe. So if you hear this awesome nice. bluegrass band, pick up your copies while you yes. can, because it's, it's going to be a relic because the band is, you know, no longer together. So it's a, it's a collector's item already. But we need you inside of a year. It's become a C and in, in, in nine months, it's become a collector's item. You know, there'll be no more. You know, when I say there won't be any more copies made, I, well, I suppose technically we could make them. We have rights to the masters, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Mr. McCann, I uh, I want to thank you so very much for joining me, and I will be reaching out to you for those other two things uh, shortly. I think uh, you are definitely a man who has put careful consideration into each path and choice and, and life direction you've chosen. And thank you for being so candid and open with uh, Sunday Edition and letting us get a glimpse of who John McCann is. Thanks for all the great bits information, as well as Arizona and ACB oh, sure. Radio Amateurs. Look out for that call. Any last and do remember, uh, any last do words? remember, yeah, okay. do remember the email address, L-I-S-T-S at jamsite.us. Anything I've talked about here, I'm willing to talk about further, you know, with anybody, uh, Arizona, BITS, ACPRA, ACB Radio Amateurs, my philosophy about ACB generally, um, you know, whether or not I'll reassume any kind of national presence in ACB, who knows, you know, well, it's... Uh, yeah, life is an adventure. And, you know, um, one of the watchwords uh, in, in the, our new core values is flexibility. So I'm taking that mm-hmm. to heart on a personal level. Flexible, you know, see where the opportunities lie and just continue to uh, do all that I can to promote ACB. I think, um, you know, we, we achieve more when we act in concert. And I think the stakes have, without getting to over political here, the stakes have never been higher. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I am sure you have now solidified yourself as friends of the show and you will be back at least in December for that uh, employment and uh, access conversation. But uh, thank you so much for sharing today. And I will be right back with the fine folks of Pennsylvania to celebrate their virtual convention. Be right back. ACB in action, where the heart and soul of ACB shines. They're working on the front lines and behind the scenes at all levels of leadership throughout our organization. Here's our opportunity to sit at the virtual table and learn about these movers and shakers among us. I'm Cindy, and I invite you to join me on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. for ACB in action. California, Florida, Iowa, Texas, guide dog users, students, IT professionals, government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention and operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. I'm speaking out for the blind. Brian McCallan. Sandy Greenberg is not your average blind individual. Sandy is the Board of Governors Chairman at John Hopkins University's Wilmer Eye Institute. He is also a United States Foreign Relations Council member and an American Academy of Arts and Sciences Fellow. Sandy joins us to talk about his life and his new book called Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, How Daring Dreams and Unyielding Friendship Turned One Man's Blindness into an Extraordinary Vision for Life. That's on November 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream East and 8 p.m. Pacific on ACB Radio Mainstream West. All right. Welcome back to Sunday edition. That was some fine information. Cindy's show airs Tuesday nights at nine, right after Tuesday topics. And I am really looking forward to listening to Sandy. But right now I am going to, I am joined by the fine folks from Pennsylvania. Christine Hunsaker has brought a couple of people that were instrumental in helping Pennsylvania achieve a 
fabulous virtual convention. Christine, Doug, welcome. Hey. Hi there. And thanks for having us. You're thanks welcome. You're welcome. Thanks more. for coming. <laughs> yes. Well, Mary we Ann's Tom. here and Sue's here and Tom's here. So I think we're all here. Awesome. George is here. And George's came, I guess uh, it went out to the leadership. So we might have a few folks. Yep. All right. So let's, um, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go to the very beginning. COVID started. We found out that national is going to go virtual at that point. Did you think that you'd still be able to put on an in-person convention? No. Statewide? Me, <laughs> can I jump in here, Chris? Sure. All right. Actually we jumped the gun. Uh, in March, we had a, pl- we meet, during the second week of each month. So in March, we had a meeting and we talked about an in-person conference, but we broached the possibility that we'd have to reconsider that issue the next month. So in April, I made a recommendation to my planning team that we not have an in-person conference, but rather that we have a virtual conference and that we begin working from that point on. Uh, We took the recommendation to the board of directors of PCB, and they ultimately decided that we made the right recommendation. And so really from about April on, we were on track to be virtual. Awesome. And of course, you had national to look at and um, Florida, who was the first uh, the first state affiliate, even before national. There have been some great conventions leading up to. But um, you guys really thought outside the box in some areas and you really put on quite a few days worth of great programming. So who's going to, who's going to talk about the programming that the highlights of the programming you put on? Well, let me just again, highlight what our procedure is and then how we digressed. Sure. When we, when we hold an in-person conference, we uh, solicit our membership for program ideas. And we had in-person program ideas already in the can when we, decided to make a change. So we resolicited our membership for virtual program ideas, figuring that some of the original ideas would work virtually, but some of them would not. We got some suggestions, some modif- we got some new ideas and some modified suggestions, but we were still short. Now here's where Sue Lichtenfels comes in. She is a fawn of ideas and creativity in terms of thinking about who might work as a good program participant. Before one of our meetings, she inundated us with four or five different program suggestion ideas that we considered during that planning meeting. And the rest is history because most of those we incorporated into our program. Well, then Sue, welcome. Welcome to Sunday edition. Sue? She must be muted. I I was. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about some of these ideas. Well, yeah, I, I always have ideas. Um, and my fellow peers know that I'm not afraid to share them. And I think sometimes they get a little annoyed, but um, ideas make the world go round. And so um, some of the ideas I had were people that we wouldn't necessarily be able to get to an in-person conference. And I thought we need to take advantage of being virtual this year. So let's go for some folks that are nowhere near Pennsylvania and invite them to come present. So. Um, we had Marty Schultz from Objective Ed. We have mm-hmm. uh, Mona Minkara um, from Planes, Trains, and Canes. Uh, she was a Holman Prize winner, and she traveled to five different countries uh, across the world. Um, we had Paul Rubolo, who is the creator of 
Clue. It's an app that essentially lays down virtual breadcrumbs um, to help you remember your routes. Um, I have a cousin who is an author. She wrote a book called Followers, which is available on Bard. It's an excellent book. So um, she came and spoke to us, did an author meet and greet. Um, we had uh, Katie Marins come do a doggy massage, thanks to our um, guide dog affiliate. And um, so it was a really great mix of people that, like I said, we wouldn't normally be able to get. So what, what was your favorite? What stood out the most for you? I'm not sure. There, there were a lot that I enjoyed. Um, Mona is a very interesting speaker. She was a fantastic speaker. Yeah. Fun. She was fun, energetic. She would be my favorite. Mine too. And just that whole, that whole thing about how different countries approach um, yeah. disability is just fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great conversation. And we had a really, um, really great panel of dads talking about you know, the perspective amazing. of, of um, parenting. And uh, three of the four panelists are African-Americans. Yeah. So um, you really, really got a, a true view of some of the um, racial injustice issues that are going on out there. Yeah. Christine, you, uh, you helm the ship currently. Was, uh, was there any trepidation once April came around and you knew this is exactly where you were going to go and, and attendance wise and, and being able to do the outreach? Was there any trepidation or was it exciting all along? Well, as the president, I let the um, conference planning and program team take care of as much of that kind of stuff as we could. And uh, to, my way of thinking of it, you know, we've always accomplished our tasks in the past, and I saw no reason that we wouldn't be able to do something this year. And so I didn't have any, I mean, when we didn't have any movies and we were getting right close to the time for the conference, I was wondering, are we going to get any movies? Are we going to have to shrink this down again or what? Um, so that was the only thing that was like a little bit of a of a question. Um, but no. Okay, cool. Doug, you um you work with ACB Radio, and uh, you um obviously liaisons back and forth. How important was the particip- You know, was the um stewardship the the help that ACB Radio offered in your planning process? And and what do you want to say? Debbie's on the line. She's streaming for me today. So, what would you like to say to Debbie and, and the rest of ACB Radio, Jason? No, we and, need uh, to be Jack. saying a lot about Doug because Doug is absolutely <laughs> awesomeness. <laughs> We're well, you know very fortunate guys, to have him. You guys can yeah, ping pong back amazing. and forth. Why don't we, let's do some love fest between Debbie and Doug? <laughs> Wait a minute, I object to Wait that. Wait a second now. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday edition is nothing if it's not fun. But um, seriously, Doug, you speak to ECB Radio first, and um, Debbie, you respond back to Doug. Well, I can tell you this from the start. Um, Debbie Hazelton, as uh, co-director of ACB Radio, has been nothing but supportive. And uh, not only that, she was available to stream when I couldn't. And um, she's just always been there. Even during the convention, she was cheerleading us on and giving us uh, all the resources that we needed. And I can't say enough about um, all of them. Jeff Bishop. Uh, Jeff got our movies downloaded and got those organized uh, once we had the OKs to do it. 
And also, Jeff sent out our daily announcements to friends and the announce list. And and uh, yep. that's something that I just would have, I, I was so busy that I, I just didn't have time to do it. So I was so appreciative of that. Um, also, I can't say enough about Rick Morin's uh, oh, presence. Fantastic. He yes. was there the whole weekend. Yes. And he ran video. He uh, also did uh you know, Zoom monitoring and, and everything. And Donna Brown was fabulous, too. Both were mm-hmm. just fabulous. But I, I can't say enough about Rick. And the fun thing about Rick was that before each session, he and I would chit-chat back and forth, and I got a chance to know him. He's a really good guy, and he really did put out a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was definitely a learning experience, and uh, we couldn't have done it without uh, ACB Radio and its support. Okay, but... You're not being fair to my friend Doug, because Doug put together all of those exhibits with lots and lots of editing, a huge playlist of all the exhibits. It was the it was the coolest exhibit hall ever. I mean, you could hear it was. you could hear yeah. Doug, uh, you could hear the the sound of the crowd, and you know, welcome to our virtual exhibit hall. And then there was Chris in the background, like, "What row is this? What booth is this?" <laughs> and then a dog barking, and Doug saying, "Well, at least here you don't have to worry about stepping on a dog's tail." And the tour of the exhibit <laughs> hall, and and all those sounds. I mean, it was and just all of the other little announcements of everything that went on. It was so so top class first class done just excellent doug just has talent that is just oh my god it's awesome it's too much of my voice in there that's <laughs> no it's great it's really really great and i was so glad you got chris in there yeah it was great to hear you on the air chris <laughs> it was really good you never know i told doug you better watch out you may just end up doing your own show <laughs> You know, you, yeah, you know, the exhibit hall absolutely was, you know, I, I I'm inspired. I, yeah. I definitely I think, you know, national will take a look at what Pennsylvania did as far mm-hmm. as the exhibit hall and, and get some ideas, could get some ideas, excuse me, for uh, <laughs> July. So I really an absolute kudos, kudos, kudos to to you guys for putting out something that was stellar, stellar, stellar. Well, you know what? Um, sorry. God. No, God. The nice thing about all these conventions is I listen to as many as I can because I Mm -hmm. learn from what other people do. Sure. That's that's the only way you can do it. And um, uh, National did this, and Washington also did it. Uh, They interviewed some of their exhibit hall people, Mm -hmm. and I think that would be a good thing for us to do next year. Yeah, Yeah. I liked the way it almost sounded like a magazine style, the way you had it. Even the ones that did their own, they had several people talking like guide dog foundation it was like a magazine Mm -hmm. it was really it was fascinating and i wasn't like oh here we go exhibits again i was like what did i miss (laughs) so what did you learn if you have to do this again next year what do you what do you want to improve upon for the next one and anybody is free to take this or you can round table it around but before we do that, um, I also want to give a shout out to um, the planning committee as far as the auction goes. Uh, that really was uh, a smoothly run 
operation. We had all of the uh, descriptions pre-recorded. Tony Schwartz did that for us. And um, of course, Marianne and George and Tony were our auctioneers. And Rick was always steady at the mic and Donna too mm-hmm. with with that. But uh, that was, I thought it was really well done. Thank and, you. Um, all of our people, the you know, the planning committee, the fundraising, all of them, they just did a really bang up job. And I'm sorry I interrupted. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's Tony, in response, Tony, in response to your question, um, it's a little bit premature because we're going to meet as a planning team in November and debrief the conference, look at the good, the bad, and the otherwise. And and then we'll use that as the stepping stone for how we want to plan for next year. Now, the conference next year will take a decidedly different turn because I've already saddled my horse and I'm riding off into the sunset. I'm not going to be on, involved directly in the planning process next year. Sue Lichtenfels is taking over. So, undoubtedly, she'll do a fantastic job. And undoubtedly, the conference will not have exactly the same complexion as if I were still involved. And that's Tom speaking. What was the highlight for you, Tom? I think the highlight for me was the realization that we ended up with three movies from three different producers, Amazon, Disney, and Netflix, and we had two tours from the National Park Service about a month or so before the conference. And I've said this to my planning team, it didn't appear that we were going to have anything, no tours, no movies. Uh, I had written, first of all, let me, this this conversation, it can serve as a blueprint for other organizations to think about how they might approach arranging for their conferences. So in in that light, let me just explain how we came to the movies and the tours, if I may. Please. The I reached out to um, Janet Dickelman and to Joel Snyder to talk about both issues. And they gave me names and so forth. But Joel Snyder particularly gave me contacts at the Park Service and also contacts for movie producers. Of course, he has audio described tours for the Park Service and has worked closely uh, in his role with ACB, lining up movies and working with the movie producers, audio describing movie tracks. So I reached out to the contacts he gave me. Some of them, one person had been retired for five years. And so I wasn't getting very far with the tours, but then he gave me the name of a lady and I wrote to her and didn't hear from her for quite a while. And then one day, a letter appeared in my inbox. She said, I got your long letter. It was really great. Here's who you should talk to for tours. So I reached out to the contact person, and in no time, we had two tours. We had the Flight 93 in Shanksville, and we had the um, Will's House in Gettysburg. And I wrote to uh, the contact people that that, uh, Joel suggested for the movies. And at first, we didn't hear anything. And then Disney came along, and their approach was interesting. I wrote to them, and I said, can you suggest some audio-described movies that we could consider? They said, no, you've got to tell us what you're interested in, and we'll tell you whether it's available. Mm. Netflix, I mean, Amazon was different. I wrote to them, and I said, can you suggest some movies? They came back with a list of movies. I polled my planning team, and we settled on one. So I wrote back and said, we'd like this movie. Took a long time in both cases for them to get approvals from whoever they had to reach out to, to allow us to air the movies. Almost at the 12th hour, I got an email 
from Netflix, and they said, we'd like to participate. Now, again, none of these organizations knew I had reached out to anybody else. So Netflix said, we'd like to participate. And, and in a day or two, they said, this is a movie we'd suggest. It turned out to be Crip Camp. Now, I had already solicited my people once we knew that Netflix was sort of on board and had a list of movies to suggest to them. But in a planning meeting, our people thought Crip Camp would be a good, a good selection. So our suggestions never went back to Netflix. They were the first organization to respond with the, with the tracks. Eventually, uh, Amazon and Disney did as well. And, and as Doug said, Jeff Bishop put everything up on the, up on the uh, stream and had it set up to be, to be aired. And then, of course, he did the same thing. Once we got the files from the National Park Service, he set those up for listening as well. Actually, yeah, I was. Yeah, Tom. Oh, God. <laughs> I did. God. I uh, strung all that together. Okay. <laughs> I was going to mention Crip Camp. I think that was um, definitely one of the highlights. And um, as recommendation from. It was awesome. Yes. It really, yeah, it really was awesome. And, uh, I saw it twice in one day genius. and I cried both times. But but good cry. I mean, it was was wonderful. I would highly recommend it. I think it's a great movie, and I wish we had had the ch- you know had realized how many questions that movie asks that I think all of us need to think about, um, you know, uh, about how much act- how much um, activity the people who were the Crip Camp people had, uh, you know, created and 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 caused to. Um, Caused, you know, like the the uh, occupation of the building in in uh, San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's true that all of this stuff was done from their point of view, so we don't know other or other organizations or other groups of people who became involved, um, you know, throughout time. But it would certainly be a set of interesting questions to ask about, you know, how how close to the protest line would would you have been had it, had you realized that the that that it was important to stand there i've heard of that judy that woman judy judy human i think is her name oh yeah i've heard of her yeah and i would think you know maybe what if you all got permission to to air it again and we did like a sunday afternoon something with questions and answers and maybe if you invited her to come and it could all be by you know your affiliate just a thought yeah that's definitely something to to think about i think it would be an interesting discussion that would yeah really be well national or even something that national could could yeah sure the diversity issues Mm -hmm. because we all have to think in terms of of um intersection intersections between Mm -hmm. you know intersectionality between all the disabilities i mean it's it's a very worthwhile Mm -hmm. conversation to have well i'll I'll take you up on that because i maintain mm -hmm. an ongoing dialogue with a movie producer so that's certainly something i can speak to them about well and i would really love for many of you from different conventions to be involved with national planning i mean i think we we might want to pull together a meeting and have some of you with some of the people who really were very uh instrumental in the other conventions come together and just have everybody say what they can offer and what are ideas of what they might want to offer and i think 
you know, National is going to have such a springboard of resource that we didn't know before. What Tyson keeps saying over and over again, there is so much talent in ACB that we don't always think about or haven't always known. So you all yeah. exemplified that just tenfold. Well, I can tell you that I think I think Sue is a champion of organizational skill. That she is, yes, Sue. Well worth, <laughs> well worth everybody learning from. Absolutely, I've seen that before. So yes, indeed, Sue. Sue, expect your email, uh, your box to highlight. I think uh, if anybody from the national planning team is listening today, you will probably get an interest letter some sometime very soon, and uh, we hope you do because Pennsylvania really did put on some great programming. Did you all come up with um, a number from your auction of any idea how much it made, or do you not want yes. to go there? Yeah. No, well, we. It, I'll tell you this. I don't know if um, Chris wants me to give you the, the exact number, right. but it was, um, well, the best that um, in the history of our auctions, it was probably just the second. It was the second best. It was a huge mm-hmm. um, success. It was a huge success. And uh, if I could speak for, to, for a minute to that, um, Please. You know, we had the benefit of listening to many auctions mm-hmm. prior to ours, but also um, I was the I'm, I'm the team leader for fund development in um, PCB and their vice president this year. But I had the benefit of working with a great team and Tony Swartz, who um, was the co-chair of the auction team, has been putting on auctions for years. So I, for the last two years, I've been um, co-chairing that committee with him and learning an awful lot, but, but we did some really unique things for the auction. Mm-hmm. Um, you did. Pre-recording our, um, well, uh, to backtrack just a second, we were going to do it anyway. So pre-recording our descriptions was something we decided we would do after last year's convention. And we had some people reading and it was um, a little difficult for them. Some of the descriptions are technical and, and whatnot. So last year we had decided we're going to pre-record um, our descriptions. And then as everyone has rightly um, pointed out, Doug is so adept at, at um streaming and putting all that stuff together so we recorded them tony and i did um the audios the the voice for them and then doug took them and put them in in order and um played them when they needed to be played and so that was the first thing that made our um auction run a little smoother than perhaps others where they were reading them on air and the other thing i think that um well for sure that we did that made it run smoother is we developed protocol every to to the last detail of um who could register when they could register um and raising hands and muting and and unmuting and every single bit of, of detail was laid out in advance and we um, had a rehearsal just for the auction team the Monday before um, the conference started, and we and then and and in addition to that, so we were familiar with our protocol. In addition to that, we had a rehearsal for all um, of the um, presenters the evening of the the same the same night, so Monday before the conference, and so Rick and Donna they all knew where we were coming from, what our protocol was for the auction. And it just ran 
more smoothly than I could have ever hoped. But it was really all in the planning and the things we did in advance. We left absolutely nothing to chance. And we reminded people about the you know, particular protocol a few times during the um, auction, but it really it wasn't even necessary. People just played nice and, and it just, again, because it was so well planned out, it went off, I think, without a hitch. I think was, they're... I think there are others who who already are learning from you and from the ha- from the national auction. Washington had one the other night, and it was like lickety split. I, they had fewer items; they had thirty two, and I think it was maybe an hour and forty five minutes or an hour we and a got, half. Yeah, yeah we cool. got ours. We had fifty seven items, mm-hmm. and it was done with with the announcements, which mm-hmm. took up at least what ten or fifteen minutes um, mm-hmm. because we did them twice. We were done in. Um, two in in two mm-hmm. hours and just a little bit. Incredible. So, yeah, it was. It was pretty incredible. I was stunned when I looked after we were done. I looked at my watch and I said, "Oh my gosh!" So it was wonderful. I think the other thing that was really helpful about our auction is is the pre auction showcase. showcase. Yes, yep. we lined up all of those descriptions and played them. Yeah. Before the auction even started. Yes, right. and then and then we could ask people could ask questions. We gave them five minutes in our heads. Okay, mm-hmm. anybody have any questions about items or protocol? And we gave them that time to ask questions. And it was it was really it was like a well oiled machine. Yes, it was. You know, for the con- for your convention at large, but especially the auction. You know, obviously anyone who's any affiliate that's putting on there's going to be a lot of pre-prep work and you guys seem to have had every single duck in a row all the ducklings you know accounted for and cracking (laughs) yeah but you also did a really good job at the promotion of it all and and disseminating the information and the material etc etc so that you know as you were coming to the convention you were really you were really armed with with basically everything you needed yeah i mean we actually sent out prize lists um, to all of the registrants. We had it up on our website. We had it on the ACB list. Um, we did what we could. And who, uh, who was responsible for putting all that together and making sure that it all got out and uh, putting it on the website, et cetera, et cetera? Well, for the auction, we developed the material. And then um, I guess, Sue, you probably put it on the website. Um, Chris and I sent it out to the leadership lists on ACB. It was kind of a, a, you know, we all did what we do, do best. Right. Well, and then within the conference itself, we had announcements each day highlighting what was coming up the next day. And we also right. highlighted highlighted special events that would occur during the conference. I was responsible for drafting those announcements, sending them to Tony. He recorded them and then Doug played them. Again, what we all do best. So I want to go around um, from person to person and I'd like each of you to a sentence or two about the rest. We'll start with Chris, President Chris. Um, what do you want to say to to your your constituency at large? And what do you want to say to your planning team here? About, about what? About the conference? I mean, I think there's always room for improvement. We need to find out why we had um, only like 106 people register and why we had people who said they were going to attend certain events and didn't. Uh, we don't know if the issues had to do with Zoom or if, you know, we thought that we would have a lot more people uh, just because they didn't have to pay for hotels or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it wasn't our whole, it wasn't our whole membership list. 
It wasn't even half of our membership list. But we did pick up people from all over the country. So obviously, we, we got the word out to other places. Um, so we need to look at ourselves and figure out what, what we did that doesn't appeal to our members or our peers. All right. That's a pretty valid point. And how about all the hard work that these folks put in? I'm sorry. Joe Hayden just did something on the football game. I missed what the last thing was you said. <laughs> I said, and what, what do you want to say to uh, all these folks to har- for, about the hard work that they all put in? And the fact that it did go off so swimmingly well, even if the numbers themselves didn't reflect what you were hoping for. Well, we've all thanked each other and patted each other on the back numerous and sundry times. Um, I think we all know that we did what, at least as much as we thought we could. I don't think anybody let the group down um, in planning or anything like that. So we can only learn from what we did by listening to what our peers tell us about our conference and try to add to it. Um, and maybe not make it as long next year. I know one thing, we need to put some breaks in this conference. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, if anybody from your state or actually around the country who attended has some feedback, where do you want them to send it? Uh, they should send it to the, um, I was going to say the PCB. Chris, can they write to the planning team list? No, they no. have to write to the PCB office at pcb1.org. And then the comments will be forwarded to the planning team and we'll yep. consider we'll consider what they have to say. Cool. Mary, if you uh, if you want to tell us what you thought, um, what your highlight was and where you thought uh, the most uh, visibility um, came. OK, I I am um, the highlights for me. It's it's a little thing. It's maybe a little obscure to say, but the highlight for me is seeing how um, teams worked together Um how peers worked with one another to put on a conference that we thought would be memorable. Um, we are leading, um, I'm, my husband is the team leader for peer engagement and we are going to lead a discussion, um, a frank discussion as to what people thought and um, maybe get a hold of why people didn't attend from our own group. Um, and the other thing that I, I want to say is, well, first of all, everybody knows how thankful I am to PCB. I mean, I live in Florida and I still participate in PCB. So they all know how with the <laughs> love I, they know the love I feel. But the other thing that PCB does right and did right for the conference is we try to reach as many of our peers as possible. So which makes the discussion of why people didn't attend even more pertinent and more important. But we, you know, we had an 800 number to access Zoom for um, good parts of, for the for the conference, uh, we have we always have an 800 number for people to participate in our discussion calls. We use a service called Call Them All to remind people who don't have email that a discussion call is coming up. It makes me proud of PCB because we're so inclusive. Um, and I, of highlights of the conference, I would say um, the dad's con- conversation um, was probably my favorite um, were, were m- the most enlightening thing that um, I listened to during the conference. Um, so, but, you know, I, I always, I always give PCB kudos for the outreach that we do and the accommodation we make for people, whether they're technique, technologically savvy or not. And, um, to me, that's what it's a defining, um, piece of who PCB is. 
I did not get a chance to um, hear the dad's thing. So I am. It was fantastic. Everything is is going to be podcasted and available through your home website, I'm hoping. Uh, We're not sure about the tours. I have to get permission from the for the tours and certainly not the movies. Not the movies, of course. Yes. But the discussions will all be there at some point. All right. If I can shift focus and I know I'm going to be putting you guys on the spot a little bit, but um, all eyes seem to be on Pennsylvania right now. You know, politically speaking, do you um, do you guys feel any pressure about it? <laughs> We'll find out when the election's over how it turned out. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us are willing to go there right now. <laughs> no, that's we all that's, have our our hopes. I'm sure we're all hoping for something. I can tell you that I voted accessibly. Yeah, me too. We both. Me did. too. If you don't mind me asking, what counties um, are you in, and and uh, what it what was your voting experience? Long line, easy, breezy. <laughs> Any, well, anybody want to? Because I just voted this morning, first time ever in Florida. Um, I, you know, obviously I'm from New York originally, and this was my first Floridian vote process, and it went swimmingly. I, I'll so just, I'm, I'll go first then, and then that we can, because I'm sure. Florida too. We'll end up, the, we'll end the Florida discussion and let them all discuss Pennsylvania. Okay. I voted where I always vote um, in person, early voting yesterday, and um, it also went swimmingly. I, I got off the um, paratrooper transit the driver found the poll worker got us right in got got right you know to the head of the line uh, i'm sure to the dismay of the tons of people <laughs> waiting in line yeah i i wish i could those are the times you wish you could see facial expressions because it must have been like oh boy but um we got right in we voted um on an excess we voted on the express vote and finished and we were done within i would say a half an hour we were, we were completely done and, and everybody was just wonderful. So my experience in Florida was also good, Tony. Yeah, I that went, was pretty much yeah. my experience. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go on. I, that's okay. I went in the uh, mail-in ballot um, route this year and um, had a friend help me fill it out. Um, mailed it in on a Monday and I had email notification that they had received it by Wednesday. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, well, I did this in the beginning of October. So um, do not mail in your ballot as of today. Obviously. Right. Drop it off. Drop it off. Anybody else want to share? Chris and I did the accessible web ballot. Um, It was, we got an email from our board of elections people that had a number that each of us had to put in. And once you do that, you fill out a very accessible ballot you print it and uh, what each of us did is looked at ours with our phones and you know software to do that to make sure they were the choices we wanted we put them in the little envelope and put them in the big envelope and then we got ira to assist us with lining up signature and date lines and we sent them off after we did uh the road got a little bit bumpy because we kept checking the state website and um it kept saying that we were pending and chris would call the county elections board and she'd be like caller number 26 caller number two oh sorry we're too busy leave a message and email and she tried that and it didn't work 
So finally, she wrote to the Board of Elections director and said, do we need to come in and do provisional ballots or what's the deal? And he told us that uh, Friday that, yes, we did get two accessible uh, votes from Brentwood. So I'm sure it was ours. And so I'm really relieved that we uh, got to vote. And it was relatively easy to do, except for the verification process. Yeah, and and he did say it was even our election district in Brentwood, so it's it's even more likely that it's us because yeah, since our our um our jurisdiction is a really good transportation area, um you know we have there could There's be a few other, blind people here, other, but yeah, the, they were the, the in our district itself where we would normally vote. It was two people, and I'm sure it was us. <laughs> but what they were doing apparently, because it took them so long to get that whole system straightened out we had asked for the regular vote by mail ballots so that was the one that was being tracked on the system and not the accessible new ones not the accessible ones so they were holding all their accessible ones i don't know when he said oh i'll put them on the system today well they well, they weren't there yesterday and i didn't even look today uh, to see if they were on the state website today like sue i used a mail-in ballot i'd send mine in early last week, and I do not have verification that they received it. Uh, so I'm just going to assume that they have it. Sure. Any, um, any, uh, excuse me, any comments that you want to make about your convention? And um, sorry, I might, I do not know why my phone is, can, is my audio coming through? Yes, you're fine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, any uh, any last kind of comments you want to make on the convention and and uh, invite people to the website to look at it once it's up? Well, let me just do a quick wrap from an organizational standpoint. As the chief planner, I called myself the conference coordinator when I identified myself in correspondence and during the conference. Um, I think we're happy with with what we did. Uh, it was. A little bit daunting to think about going virtual, but we took things step by step. People on my planning team had responsibilities. Each month, I would check in with them to find out whether they had accomplished what they were instructed to do. And um, that came as a result of keeping copious notes about the progress of our planning. And and I think the uh, end result speaks for itself. Chris or Doc? Um, I, I just don't know for sure. I know that ACB had talked about um, podcasting some of the stuff for us. Um, we don't, as an organization, haven't set up things as podcasts up until now. Um, so we may take them up on that so that they can be found easier. Um, we just haven't sorted all that part out yet. Doug's working on um, making everything as um, ship shape as it can be before we put it on the website, which is what we've always done with it in the past. And we knew that our members could go up there and our, our peers could go up there and look at it, listen to it if they wanted to. But it wasn't something that was readily nationally available. So there may be some parts of that that, you know, we'll talk to ACB radio about popping into their piles of podcasts. <laughs> awesome. Doug, any final thoughts from you? I'll tell you what. Uh, it's it's harder to edit a virtual convention because um, people don't want to hear. Am I unmuted? Am I on? Yeah. Oh my! I'm um, bigger than so, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know how that goes. Mm. But, yeah, we're um, gonna have T-shirts. Can you hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> um, but it's we're getting there, and I should have <coughs> excuse me things done uh, probably this week, and I'll be glad when it's done. <laughs> Sue and and then when Doug is done with editing all of that stuff, it does go on up our on our website at pcb one dot org slash conference, and then folks just click on the archive conference archives. Um, and there'll be a link to each of the presentations up there. So as listeners of Sunday Edition know, I like to have a little fun with my guests, and I definitely like to get to know everybody. So if we can go backwards, um, I'll start with you, Sue. Can you tell me where in Pennsylvania you're from and some of your hobbies other than bringing fabulous ideas to the planning committee and then making sure that they all come to fruition? I live in Pittsburgh, um, in the southern suburbs of Pittsburgh. I have a daughter who's um, nine now. So half of my day is spent uh, doing her remote learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, when I'm not doing that or doing my volunteer work, I I love to read. Um, I I probably read about a book a day. Um, So I'm a big library for the blind fan. All right. What uh, What are the three coolest, best books you've read in the last, let's say, three months? Oh, oh. you see, when you read so many books, you really you're reading the them more for the entertainment yeah. than the. Um, but let me just give my my cousin Megan Angelo. Um, her book is called Followers, and it is on Bard. And I I don't have the DV number right here, but um, it's a great book. And read it. And then go to the PCB website and enjoy the conversation that we had with her about it. Can you just spell her last name for everybody who wants to look it up? Angelo. A-N-G-E-L-O. Just like it sounds. Okay. All right. Let's jump to Tom. Tom, tell us about you. Where do you live? What what you do outside of PC? I live in the South South Hills of Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm a retired attorney. I also read a lot. Um, I, I think of myself as a dumb jock because I've always enjoyed actively participating in sports and I am a, uh, follower, a spectator of, uh, college basketball and baseball and football. Awesome. Yeah. Pittsburgh is a very sports oriented town city. So I can definitely feel that. And Chris, you were talking about, uh, the game. So I will break, break ranks and go to you. Well, I'm um, I'm retired, so since I'm I, I have the time to put into being the president of PCB. Currently, I'm also the president of the GTCB, which is our local chapter, but that's about to change. Um, and I I read a lot, but I sometimes get into periods of time where I do a lot of knitting, and then um, I like to bake. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I went away to Washington, D.C. and um, lived there for 20 years. And then Doug and I came back to Pittsburgh and I finished out my work career here. Um, And so I came back home. Pittsburghers don't really leave. Um, Mm -hmm. I happen to be um, a big baseball fan. um, And Doug and I had partial season tickets for the Pirates and... um, I watch my Steelers, but you know, it's like, um, I think, I think baseball is still my favorite. No hockey is my absolute favorite, but I can't go to hockey games. They're just, 
Um, there are just issues that uh, have to do with the way the broadcasts go through the arena, et cetera, that don't, don't let me go and enjoy them. Gotcha. I'm a huge baseball fan too. I played all through high school and college, but uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I can show you can guess which team is mine. <laughs> Let's jump down to Florida before we go to Doug. Okay. Um, well, first of all, just so you know, I mean, I'm a, I have a, well, a big part of my heart is still in Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. That's where I moved from. And my youngest daughter, I have two daughters, one who's 29 and one who's 32. My 29-year-old still lives in Pennsylvania. In fact, her and her fiancé just closed on their own home, so I'll be spending a lot more time there um, visiting. But um, <clears throat> my husband and I are both um, in the vending program. We both have vending routes, vending facilities. But my um, love is I love to read like Sue, and I also, also I'm a guitarist singer, so that's like my my happy time is pulling my guitar out and, and singing when I'm not doing volunteer work or working. Mm, and uh, and I live relax. in Lee, yeah, it is. And I live in uh, Lee County, Florida, currently in Cape Coral near Fort Myers. Nice. All right, Doug, you're up. Well, I'm a, I'm originally from Virginia, Newport News, Virginia area, uh, and uh, I met Christine at a Social Security training class. Actually, uh, we both got promoted at the same time, and uh, two years after that, we were married, and eventually we we got here. So that's how I came to Pittsburgh. And um, what else can I say? I like sports. I um, like, you know, playing around with uh, internet audio and production, as you can probably tell. (laughs) (laughs) And you love ACB radio. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, so it's, it's all good. And, and I like, you know, helping people out with computer stuff when I can figure it out myself. Not always, but uh, I do give it a shot when I can and, and try to help people where I can with it. So let's have a little bit more fun. Um, I do definitely, I do couple shows uh, once a month. So let's start with a couple. Why don't you tell, um, and we'll start with you, Doug. Why don't you tell us one surprising, interesting thing about Christine that we wouldn't otherwise know? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, here goes. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> She she said she liked to bake, and I'm like, what? <laughs> so when was the last time you had a home baked good, Mister Mister Hunsinger? Um, I think it was before I retired. Uh, no, not lying. <laughs> I that made you a much. peach cake this summer. That's true. This- you did. <laughs> uh, but I had to give her a hard time about that. But uh, yeah. Uh, oh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You're up, Christine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doug is, um, he's just such a caring person. He helps people that drive him crazy even. Um, and wow. and he just, and I'll say, well, why don't you just stop talking to that person if, if, if the things that they ask you to do for them are, you know, are hard to do. And he goes, no, they need the help. So I, he's just a, a caring kind of person. Um, a lot more, a lot warmer than I am. Um, I'm kind of prickly. So I'm going to go to Tom now and I'm going to put, uh, obviously put you on the spot first, instead of something surprising, we would know. How about you tell us about the other two ladies, Sue and Mary, what something that surprised you along the way about them. And of course I'm going to, you know, hit them up as well. Tom. 
I don't know Marianne very well, so I'm not going to make any comments about Marianne. But I first met Sue when she was a freshman at Pitt back in 1991. She joined a, a goalball team that we were playing with. And I, I still remember that first evening. We, we destroyed her. I mean, we just kept hitting her with as much as we could give her. And the lady just kept standing up and coming back and playing. And um, uh, it, was, it was to her credit that she just became a superb player. And but for other things that happened in her life, there's no doubt in my mind that she would have been on the national team and participated in international competition. Wow, that's awesome. Sue, can you give us something about Tom and maybe Mary Ellen? Marianne. Marianne, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I've done that twice now. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Um, my gosh. Yeah, this is definitely on the spot. <laughs> um, Marianne, you know, she she comes across as she comes across as being very confident, but she's really not. No. Um, but she really needs to be. She really <laughs> does. She does. She does an amazing job, and um, I'm I'm just so pleased to call her a friend. And I know that I can always rely on her um, to do what needs to be to get done. Thank you. Um, and Tom, um, Tom can surprise you. You know, he's not the most cordial um, social person. Um, but he definitely has a kind heart and he's, he's always, uh, in it to, to helpful. And if people need help, um, he'll be there. He'll be there. And Marianne, I will apologize. I have an aunt, a very, a very loud, wonderful, beautiful personality. So it's just Mary Ellen just comes out of my mouth That's because okay. I That's say okay. the name so often, That's but, okay. um, you can pick anyone or all of them and give us an impression about your colleagues, about your friends. Well, I, I'll back at Tom. I don't know him that well, so I'll re reserve comment there. But um, And Sue is the person I probably know the best. Um, so I'll just say she just always surprises me. Her wit and her ability to put that wit to work and her um, just... Her, her writing skills are just absolutely tremendous. Um, and, and again, how she uses them, she, it's not just, you know, oh, it's not just articles or, but she can write satire and she can write an article and she can write plays and, you know, she's just um, dynamic. That's, that's the word I'd use to, to describe Sue it is just dynamic. And she's always there to listen. If you have, you know, if you have a need to talk, she's always there to listen. So she's, I, again, I back at her, um, and blessed to count her as a friend. And Chris, I'm just getting to know now. And Chris says she's prickly, and I suppose she can be, but I think more often what comes through is her willingness to learn. And, you know, this is this is new to her, you know, and she came in after, after Sue, who, you know, brought presidency to a, a, a different level than it had been previously. So, you know, Chris is walking in Sue's, you know, she's she's walking in some difficult shoes you know but she's doing an admirable job and and again her what makes her so awesome is she's humble and she knows when she needs to learn something and is not afraid to ask and she's you know really rising to the occasion of of our presidency and Doug I don't know how to Doug is just amazing how willing he is to to help I, I don't know. He said that Debbie was there to stream when he wasn't, but I just didn't 
see a time when Doug wasn't there for our conference and, and the work he did beforehand. He's just a, a worker. He always, he's always behind the scenes and, and he doesn't ever, ever take credit. And that's just the truth. He was still working. He was doing the concurrent session. Yes, he, he was, he was mm-hmm. not ever not working. So right. and he's just, Doug is just that kind of person. So they're just an awesome group of people to work with. I am truly blessed to have been allowed to stay part of PCB, even though I live here in Florida. And I do, wow. just just to end it, like I do, I'm secretary for the local chapter in, in um, Florida. So I am involved, just not as much on the state level, but on the local level, I'm very involved in Florida. Awesome. So I just got to ask, will we ever hear you um, at a Friends in Art showcase or maybe on you one have. of the karaoke nights? We yeah, have. On 2009, I was in that showcase. It was a long time ago, but I was. Anthony I did. Um, not have been. <laughs> I did. Oh, yeah. You might not have been. I um, performed The River <laughs> on that year. Garth Brooks. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and um, I sent Debbie a few songs to put on the cafe. Um, I don't have access to recording Gosh, equipment, so I think I'm we, not. I don't know if we did or not. Wow. I, I, I hope we did. You, right? You're I think, and I think they were at the same time that you were reaching out about your the other stuff, the affiliate. Yeah. So I, I hope we did. Again. Please do because I there's will. so much that's happened, and we are working a lot on the cafe. I so that will. would be great. Yeah. So they're kind of, and they were recorded back in '96. So um, my voice hasn't changed that much, but um, I don't have access to recording equipment now. So I don't, I haven't put out anything new. This was a demo CD that I did back then, but I'll definitely send them on to you again, Debbie. Well, Cindy Hollis is Cindy and Mika, their karaoke. Um, it switches from Friday to Saturday nights, depending on the schedule. But um, yeah, I might join that sometime. Yeah, there are a couple of people that come with guitar. Um, you don't necessarily really? have to have a, a, a true karaoke backing track. Oh, yeah, cool. we'd love to, love to hear you in the guitar. Okay. Um, fine folks of Pennsylvania, I want to say thank you so very much and take just a couple minutes with Debbie. I'm putting her on the spot now, but it's a perfect opportunity, Debbie. Uh-oh. If you want to just talk a little bit about the convention planning teams and um, submitting ideas to ACB Radio, either for podcasts or for shows and stuff, it's a good opportunity to get some of the stuff out there that's been on the list that may or may not have been, uh, let's say, paid attention to. Well, you know, there's so much happening. We we are so it's amazing. I, I thought, you know, when I started getting different coordinators and a lot of it was this person is hanging around and they're asking a lot of questions. Maybe I should help them get busier. <laughs> And so now poor Doug was never in that category because he was always doing a lot. But I knew he was so proficient that I knew he could work with Pennsylvania and had for many years. Um, But so anyway, next weekend, we have Georgia and Kentucky. And they're going to be big. And then we have and we had Washington this weekend that was absolutely awesome. And um then we have Ohio and Kansas, and I, I'm beginning to think that I can understand how Santa made it around the world in one night, because many times I'm going to two or three different states in one evening, and it's like, here's Santa, you know, except I'm not, I don't know if I'm bringing gifts, but but, but the talented crew that come with me, because there are so many people that are bringing their talent to help with affiliates, and they're really helping with organizing and and helping 
the affiliates to think through, okay, so what do you want to have first in your day or in your evening? And what do you want to follow? And how do you want to transition between these things? And who do you want to have as panelists so that they can be known and will be easy to find at the time for various presentations that are going to be made? And what kind of music do you want, if any, in between this or that going on and what what is going to be a large group session is there going to be a concurrent session anywhere do you have your own zoom account for any of that so we give every affiliate a use of our acb webinar account at no charge and that really is i mean acb pays for those webinar accounts webinar is a higher grade of zoom and so that there's one cost for that but then also the to be able to hold more than a hundred people we pay for that as well and then we give each affiliate a stream to use for that duration so we're doing helping with all of that and um there are so many, as just like with Pennsylvania, there are so many things going on concurrently or concurrently for us with more than one convention in a given time. So we're doing that as well as reorganizing mainstream. We're looking at bringing more of the really strong community calls over to mainstream. We're looking at cutting back on a lot of the uh, programming that is not originated through ACB. And some people think we do it all, but we really, like Cooking in the Dark is not ours, In Perspective is not ours, Newsreel is not ours, and there are some others. So we're not going to eliminate them altogether, but we're going to start by cutting back. And then looking at what more to bring to ACB Radio. And I think, I'm, I keep thinking we need a podcast channel, if maybe, uh, but we're Jeff and Jason are working on the podcast network and it's using Pinecast and podcasts are getting up there so fast. Last I heard, Tuesday Topics has over 700 listeners. It probably has even more than that now. That was maybe a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, and I want to reach out, see if I can get Braille Buzz to be one of our podcasts. But some of the the podcasts are never going to be exact length so maybe they won't be on acb radio or maybe we can get them to be scheduled not scheduled but uploaded to um, a stream where they could be random like our community calls because there's no way we're going to be able to give everybody a set schedule of community calls we're we're reorganizing the cafe as that's been a work in progress but now we're going to focus on a christmas cafe And, you know, in memory of Larry Turnbull, we all are very sad about his passing. And um, we're talking about having a tribute to him and a call-in kind of thing where people can say some memories. And if we can find some of his archives, um, it's, it's just amazing. It's very sad how many people have died this year. It's just incredible. Make it a free-for-all in honor of Larry. <laughs> a free-for-all, yeah. Yeah, what was what was a Friday night free-for-all in honor yes. of Larry, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I have been really wanting us to have some promo material up on Treasure Trove. It's hard to do because of the lengths of time that are much more set, um, but we're we're working on that. We're working on more production. And um, 
we're, we're, we're going to build more streams, put them up so that we'll have even more for um, national, but as well as we need more for community calls and other things that are happening. So there are other ideas in the hopper, but that's more than enough for now. We have more conventions wow. in January, February, March, April, up through May before national. Absolutely. couple in January, too. <laughs> yes, we have three in January. Three in January, at least one that I know of in February. Yeah, March, April, May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including yours. Yep. Well, I think, um, you know, I think putting co- convention coordinating teams together was an absolutely brilliant idea. And all the stuff that you were putting into you and Jason mm-hmm. and, and the team that you're leading all the stuff that you guys are doing with Thank ACB you. Radio. I couldn't and have done it without the teams. I mean, I don't know. I yeah. I don't I just fortunately woke up with ideas on certain mornings because if if I hadn't I I just I think I would have been a thing of the past myself. <laughs> There's no way I could have survived it without these wonderful teams. Well, as um, my good friend Leah will often say, time is a very cruel mistress, but this has been a great two hours. I want to thank John McCann. I want to thank Christine, Mary Ann, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Sue, Tom, and Doug. Uh, Debbie, of course, you know how much gratitude I give you for everything that you do. Thanks, everybody out there listening. You can find Sunday Edition in podcast form on all your podcast catchers by typing in ACB, Sunday Edition. And you can always get me at the email you'll hear in the outro. I will be back with a couple show next week with... Chris Gray and Marvelina, Janet Dickelman, and for the first time ever, her husband, Terry. And, oh, God, why am I blanking on the third couple? Um, They're going to go, oh, Jeff and Carrie. Jeff and Carrie Bishop. So join me next Sunday and have a blessed, beautiful week. Everybody, if you haven't gotten a chance to vote, please go do so and do so safely. Have a great Sunday. You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.